What a blessing it is to be with you here today. My wife, Victoria, and I have been so looking forward to being here in Ireland with you at the LifeGate Bible Baptist Church. Thank you, Pastor O'Gorman, for the privilege of allowing us to come. Um, my heart is full and running over with really the potential of what God wants to do, not only in the United States in the area of multiplying churches, but also around the world. And my heart beat over these next few nights is to just go back to the scripture and ask uh, the Lord to put a burden on our heart that I believe is a New Testament burden. And so I want you to go with me to the book of Acts, if you have your Bible, chapter number 17, as a place that we're just going to launch, read a few verses here from chapter number 17. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, it is a book all about church planting or churches reproducing churches. The uh, Sunday school teacher would teach us, well, you know, we have these missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul, and most of us would be very familiar here with uh, the first, the second, the third journey. But actually, when you look into the text, you're going to find out that it was a local New Testament church that was burdened about multiplying itself and uh, seeing other churches planted. And so here from Acts chapter 17, I want to read just a couple verses. The Apostle Paul is here on this church planting trip. The Bible tells us now in verse number 6 these words, And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. I want us to think about that for just a moment. Is it possible for a, a body of believers to be used by God to literally flip the world right side up? From their perspective, it was flipping the world upside down. But from the perspective of God's people, it's allowing the Lord to use a New Testament church to radically impact a country, a city, an area for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two questions here as we use this text as a springboard. As I was reading through this years ago, uh, I, I recognized that these were unique people to be able to make that kind of an impact in the world, the generation that they were living. And so I simply asked the question to myself, who are they? I mean, who are these people that are having such a profound impact in, in a pagan society or a pagan world. Well, I recognize that it was the Apostle Paul. He had uh, with him a fellow by the name of Silas and Timothy. And as we read through the text, you're going to see uh, a Gentile doctor by the name of Luke also a part. And we're going to recognize that these are ordinary men out of ordinary churches that God used in an extraordinary way to accomplish his purpose in the world. So we see, first of all, uh, who are they? The second question we had to ask ourselves is, what were they doing? All right, who, who are they? How, how can you really turn the world upside down? Is that even a possibility? We think of Dublin and the great need. We think of what's going on in your wonderful country here, even in the elections coming up on Friday. And we're thinking, is it possible to have such a profound impact 
on a city, on a country to where literally the world stands and they say they're, they're flipping things upside down. And it is possible, my friend. Because the Bible gives us this New Testament narrative to allow us to see what God can do in and through the lives of local churches that are once again geared up to accomplish New Testament Bible missions. So what were they doing? Well, they were going from community to community, beginning New Testament churches for the glory of God. And that's what we're going to be dwelling on here over these next few evenings together. From the book of Acts, let's go back to chapter 1 if you would. We have to go to the beginning of the story. And I'm just going to work our way through the text of the Bible to try to cause us to see that uh, New Testament church planting or churches reproducing churches is not a novel thing. It is not something here that ought to take us uh, by surprise as you read through the scriptures. We just have to see it as God gave it to us. And as we go to the book of Acts chapter number 1, we do see here that uh, God was interested in using that first New Testament church to have an impact, not just in Jerusalem, as we're going to see in Acts 1.8, but the Bible tells us here that they were to be witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the world. The job that God gave this early church is still our job today. The mandate that God gave this first church, the church of Jerusalem, is the same mandate that every New Testament church has. God didn't change it. God didn't uh, uh, give us a way out as a local body. God gave us this blueprint as the means by which we go forward in every generation. And praise God that there have been generations of God's people and churches that have practiced this truth because that's why we're here. That's why our churches around the world are here because they took this admonition seriously. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll jump right into our text here today. Father, thank you for the privilege that we have to gather together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and Lord, we thank you for this church body. We thank you for what what you're doing in and through this local congregation. And I pray, God, that you would just give us a greater vision for what you can do. Lord, I, I know this is a missions conference, and I know so often at missions conferences we are challenged to give. And that's an important aspect, giving so others can go. But, Lord, I pray today that our eyes would be open to even a greater opportunity. Not just to give our resources, but to give our sons and daughters. To give, yes, even ourselves for the cause of seeing your church established for your glory. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, the Apostle Paul alludes to the church planting concept when he speaks to this church at Corinth And he mentions this phrase, I have planted, Opalus watered, but God gave the increase. We're talking about the empowerment that we need as a local body to see God use some of us in launching out and seeing other congregations 
planted for the glory of God. Now, we've read this text over and over, but I want you to understand with me this evening that God is the one that wants to give the increase. There are some that are called to this ministry of planting. There's others that are called to the ministry of watering that congregation. But it is God doing his work. And we're going to see that as we move along here uh, in the text. The, The next verse tells us, So then neither is he that planteth anything. Your pastor alluded to the fact that, yes, we've been involved in some church planting in California in particular. Uh, Many years ago, we planted a church in Fresno, California. My wife and I came to the area with five children, and uh, we didn't know anyone in the community, and we just uh, was trusting the Lord that he would build a church. And as we were found faithful, God added, and God allowed us to reach some folks, and folks were saved, and and a little church was gathered together, and God gave us our first property, and and the ministry uh, began to grow. And for a long time, I was pretty content in that role as just a pastor of a congregation. And then God started to really burden my heart about all the communities around me that did not have a church. And I I recognize that, yes, our community has not just one good, solid, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, but several. And, And as I'm driving through communities, I'm recognizing that there's no church here. I would try to encourage people, like my brother would come on vacation or holiday, and, and, and he'd come to our city, and I'd, I'd drive him up to the big city, San Francisco, and as we would go, I would have my children in the back with a placard just, just to lift up in the back of the window saying, no church in this town. And I just had him do that all the way up for 200 miles. No church in this town. And we'd go for no church in this town. And, uh, you know, my brother, by the time it was all done, he thought, you know, I think my, my brother invited me out here for ulterior motive, you know, uh, to try to get uh, me to uh, encourage him to, to leave the Midwest and uh, come out to California where, where the need was great. But that, that just began to sink into my heart that, yes, uh, uh, there's communities all over that need a local New Testament church, but there's nothing special or magical about being someone that's yielding to this work of planting. Paul made it very clear. He says, listen, I'm nothing. And God's allowed us to have a small measure of blessing and seeing some churches started. But I have to first of all say, according to the word of God, it's not me. I'm nothing. The, the, the pastor that comes behind and that is the uh, waterer, he's nothing. My friend, tonight God is everything. He's our all in all. Uh, He's worthy of glory. He's worthy of being proclaimed and preached in every community. And we have to see that. We have to be so in love with our God and what God is wanting to accomplish in this generation that we have to start looking through the eyes of our Savior, through the eyes of the New Testament, so that we might have the same burden that this early Christian church had. In America, it's a sad situation. Every year, 4,000 churches are closing their doors forever. And I know in Europe, you can't help but just drive around and you see churches now, uh, stores, or, or uh, it's a McDonald's, or it's this, or it's that. Uh, it's all over the world, and yet there's a tremendous need to see churches uh, started. I, I need to do both of these at the same time, all right? Uh, 
Also, uh, 1,500 churches in America are started every year, and I know that must sound like a lot. Uh, But when you think of the amount of people that are there, uh, when you're closing the door to 4,000 and you're only opening up 1,500, you're not going forward, you're going backward. And so we see that in our country, uh, there's a great need as well. For every new church that opens our doors, foreclose their doors forever. Uh, even though America has more people than ever, it has fewer churches per capita than at any time in our uh, history. 50% of all church plants do not survive past their second anniversary. It's not an easy thing to do. It's something here that uh, needs God's power and God's blessing. And uh, the New Testament gives us uh, really the keys for how we can see that accomplished even through uh, this local church. So we begin with empowerment. The power that we need to do the work that God wants us to do is beyond us. But it is not beyond God. And uh, every New Testament church needs to see themselves as Jerusalem saw themselves the first of a church that needs to launch out in their Jerusalem, in their Judea, in their Samaria, in their uttermost to see other churches planted for the glory of God. And you have to claim the promises that this early church claimed as they saw a big world before them and they thought, how are we going to do this? And isn't it wonderful that God gave uh, the promises of empowerment to accomplish the great work that needed to be done? Let me just share a couple of verses. Luke 24, 49, here's what Jesus said. And behold, I send the promise of my Father unto you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Folks, I'm here to challenge you this week to just ask the Lord, Lord, where might we as a congregation be used of you to see other churches started for your glory? If the New Testament church is our pattern, and we can look at church after church, and we see how they are multiplying, oh God, would you give us a burden to multiply as well? In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, when we think of the power and being assembled commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem but wait for the promise of the father see they were to go to all the world but they 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 were not to go by themselves they were to go through the unction and the power of the Holy Spirit of God and if we can understand that that same Holy Spirit is wanting to take us as a congregation and use us to impact Dublin and the communities around Dublin, and county by county by county, and then recognize that God may even have us go uh, beyond to the uttermost. Oh, that our hearts would be prepared to do just that. You see, God empowers us. He allows us not to rest in our strength and our ability, but in the power that he makes available through his Wonderful Holy Spirit. Jesus said, all power, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye. I'm not going in my name. I'm not going through the authority that I might have. This is the Lord Jesus Christ and his passion. And his passion 
is that there would be churches that would be duplicated, multiplied. Luke chapter 24, verse 49, And behold, I send the promise of my Father unto you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem. It's a promise. And the promise is that he would provide the power necessary to do the great work that God has called us to do. And I'm so glad that when God calls us to do that as a local congregation, he goes with us. Folks, his presence is there. Can I tell you that when I, as a a small, younger congregation, just getting started, we had just moved into our first property, God had provided me a right hand that had been to Bible college, a young man, and he was not in the ministry in the moment, but, oh, he knew how to lead songs, and his wife knew how to play the piano, and uh, uh, he put together a little choir, and he started working with some of the children, and I tell you what, it was as marvelous having someone there to help. And then I can remember as clear as day, we just moved into, uh, I think we are seven months old when God gave us an opportunity to, to purchase a, a parcel of ground, and, and we're redoing the roof and, and doing some things on the building. And, and uh, we're standing there watching as some of the work's going on. And he leans over and he says, Pastor, do you think God could ever use me to see a church started? And I kind of gulped a little bit because we're, we're less than two years old. We're just a baby church. I mean, we're just getting started. I mean, uh, what would I do without Brother Jerry Favor? I mean, who's going to lead the music and who's going to play the piano and Who's going to teach the teens? And who's going to do this and that? And all those thoughts are racing through my mind. And I, I, I just remember so clearly just saying these words. Of course, Brother Jerry, God could use you to do this. And I didn't even comprehend fully what I was saying. What I was saying is that, uh, you know, God's New Testament pattern is for us to recognize that he gives us individuals to raise up in a local congregation so that we can send them out for the glory of God. To see God's work multiplied. Now, I have seven children that God's blessed us with. And the Saturday before we got on a plane, uh, I saw my first daughter, Mary. And uh, Lydia, she's our sweetheart. Uh, And uh, what a blessing. And I have uh, five children that are married. I have have two yet at home. And uh, what's so exciting about all of them being out of the home, beside that they're out of the home, that's just exciting. Uh, But beyond the fact that they're finally out of the home, uh, that they start their own families. And and before long, you have this uh, little rug rack, you know, this little little baby here and a little baby there. And and we've got a baby, uh, hopefully, be born before we get back to the States. Uh, one of my sons is about to have, he and his wife, their fourth child. You know what's going on? Multiplication. It was, it, we weren't going to go through having seven children and raising them just to have no grandkids. All right? That, it, that, that wouldn't be fair. Uh, and, uh, and so, yes, God gave us those seven children, and now, yes, they have families, but the natural uh, a process here of a young couple coming together is a God would give them their own family. How is it any different for a local congregation? Do you know that God wants to give this congregation spiritual children here and then uh, help you as a living body? Folks, the church is a living body. And, and, and a living body uh, has the uh, capacity to reproduce. All living things do. Read the book of Ephesians and you'll find out about the the local church being the body of Christ. And and the desire of the New Testament church was to realize that 
We can't do this in our, our power. We need the power of God. We need his presence because it's terrifying. I, I, I mentioned church planting is uh, like a, a roller coaster ride. It really is. It's exhilarating and frightening all at the same time. I mean, it's like, whoa, isn't this exciting again? Whoa! What's going on? We're in Southern California. I'll share a little bit more about the ministry there. But um, we were three years old as a congregation, and God opened up an opportunity for us to go into our first building. And I just walked in that building. I said, Lord, no. Whoa. How in the world? And yet, God's a big God. And God's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we would ask for, that we would think, and that what God orders, God pays for. I, I, I have a tendency always to look at the bottom line. All right, how much is this going to cost? And where are these funds going to come from? And where are the people going to come from? God is just looking for willing hearts that are, are going to trust him, really for the great and grand things that he wants to accomplish through uh, the local ministry. Aren't you glad for this verse? And lo, I am with you always. You know, whatever journey God has, for LifeGate Bible Baptist Church and how God wants to take this living organism and multiply it. The heartbeat of every one of us ought to be, uh, we're not going alone. He will provide the power and his presence to accomplish exactly uh, the work that needs to be done. Now, as we go on in Acts chapter 1, we see that they were to tarry And uh, they were given this marvelous promise on the Holy Spirit of God. And yet through prayer, verse number 14 of Acts 1, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And folks, they prayed. They prayed for God's will to be done. They prayed that they would be open to the will of God. That's a big ask where God says, I want you to... Saturate Jerusalem, but don't stop at Jerusalem. Uh, I, I want you then to contemplate Judea. I, I want you to uh, think about the need in Samaria. And, and I want you to also be praying about the uttermost and how you're going to reach this world in this generation. And they took it serious. I talked to a lot of pastors in America, and, and uh, you know, my question is have you ever reproduced a church? local church, and and they'll give me a lot of reasons on why they maybe haven't tried that, but I think one of the reasons is we have not because we ask them. I wonder if you've ever asked your spiritual children as a Christian that God will let you reproduce and see someone else come to know the Savior. Sometimes we have not because we ask them. I'm in a local church. God, could you multiply our church to see another lighthouse established in another community? Even pray. Have you asked God? Sometimes we're so myopic in our vision. Uh, when I was 16 years old, I, I wanted to get my driver's permit, and, and they said, uh, uh, you got to wear these things called glasses if you're going to get behind the wheel of a car. And I learned the word. They said, you're myopic. You can, uh, you can see fine, you know, uh, close up, but you just can't see at a distance. I think churches are like that. We get very myopic in our vision. We, we, we have so much coming at us in our own local assembly that we lose sight of the bigger picture. 
And here, right from the front, God is saying, the big picture is not just Jerusalem. The big picture is Judea. The gospel's got to go to Judea. The big picture is Samaria. It's the uttermost. And we, as God's people, need to give ourselves to praying that we might know God's leadership and wisdom. And they all continued with one accord in prayer. And we see that the power of Pentecost is evident there beginning in chapter number 2. And God begins working in this local church in a marvelous, in a wonderful, wonderful way. Well, the expectation, this New Testament church, uh, we uh, realize here that God from the very beginning of this young congregation, somebody help me, how many were in that upper room? How many were gathered? 120. It wasn't a mega church. It wasn't a church of thousands and thousands of individuals. But the responsibility rested on the shoulders of that congregation to see the whole world as their mission field. And uh, the mission uh, that God had for them was to see beyond their four walls. And, and see the world as God saw it because Jesus was in the business of building his church. He told that to his disciples. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God's wanting to build his church in Dublin. God's wanting to build his church in county after county after county throughout the entire world. That's the work that Jesus is desiring for the local church to get a hold of. You see, the mission's always been the same. We have a missions conference, and, and we know what the mission is. The mission is the Great Commission. Go ye. We'll find it in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24. Here we're in Acts. We recognize the mission. The mission is the Great Commission. But let's step back and say, well, what's the method? How do they flesh this out? How do they, in a very practical way, do the mission? That's really what we're focusing on tonight. What is the method? What is the Bible method? What is God desiring here for a church to get a hold of to accomplish the mission of reaching our world and our generation? The go ye. When we think of really what a church is all about, winning people, baptizing them, teaching them all things, do you realize that you cannot do that outside of a local New Testament church, truly, because baptism is a, a New Testament church ordinance. Uh, the job of equipping and teaching, that's New Testament. Ephesians chapter number 4. Winning, that's a part of the, the function of a New Testament church. Yes, the mission, it's big, it's broad, it's huge. But the methodology, the New Testament methodology is just That's the mission. Just reaching people right where we are. But God's methodology is to 
Look beyond just this one congregation and see the world. Church planning defined is simply this. It's evangelism that results in churches being planted. It's New Testament to the core. Would you go with me to Acts chapter 8? The book of Acts chapter 8. We're going to move forward here just a little bit. Oh, I tell you what. Let me take you back to Acts 1. All right, I'm sorry. I should look ahead here, see where I'm supposed to be. Acts 1.8. Let's just get the, get the, the, the outline here from uh, verse number 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, unto the uttermost part of the earth. From Acts chapter number 1, what we see about the mission is it's directional. It has to start in a spot. It is not just uh, one place, one local church. That's not God's method. It is directional. You shall be witnesses. And, and the thrust here in the New Testament is that we go from where we are to where God wants us to be. There is that outward directional flow. All right? And, and I... And that means prayer, and that means trusting God, and that means asking God for his power to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. The destination, the destination. Oh, that we would just have our eyes open to all kinds of places that are in need of a gospel witness and a gospel church. And just start praying. In the Central Valley, we started in Fresno, but you know there are all kinds of cities around us. And, and all we did was pray. I can remember taking my wife one time, and we just got in the car, and we just started to drive. And we drove from community to community, and we just started to gather information, and, and we just started to ask the Lord for burden. God, would you, would you just help us to see the need of these people in this community? And as we started to drive, and as we started to just pray, and, and as we'd already seen one of our men launched out of our church to see a new church started, God started to do a work in our heart about other communities. And uh, we see here, it wasn't long, that uh, our church was desiring to launch out to these other communities, and we began to pray on purpose. God, help us to see a church started there. God, help us in this community. Uh, there was uh, uh, two cities that I was burdened about. One was Los Banos, California, and uh, uh, one was uh, uh, Merced, California, and uh, Merced was going to have a UC campus built. They hadn't built a UC uh, university campus in California in 20 years. And, and my heart was burdened for both of those. And, and uh, I had a man that was uh, geared up to go. And I really wanted him to go to uh, Merced where this college was coming. And yet God put it on his heart to go to this other place. The prayer was answered. Not in my time, but in God's time. And, and, and a man went to that uh, place and, 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 and a church is thriving there today. And uh, God allowed us also to see in time uh, a, another man sent off to Merced. And as we prayed, we prayed, God, would you open that church at the same time that the university campus opens? And the very to the month, God allowed it to put all in place. So we had the man, we had the, uh, we, we had the place, we, 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 we had the finances to see the church started, and the doors were open the very same month. I'm just saying, directional. 
We, we have to recognize that the New Testament is, 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 is allowing us to see that, yes, I begin in Jerusalem, but I'm heading a, a certain direction. All right? And then there's the word that God really convicted my heart about. It's the definitive word of Acts 1.8, and it's just a little word, and God gripped my heart. It's, it's four letters, B-O-T-H, and it changed my life. See, I was a pastor and very content to pastor the congregation. God was allowing us to see soul safe. God was allowing us here to move forward as a congregation, purchasing property and different things that we had uh, the opportunity through the years to do. And yet that little word, both, I couldn't escape. Because the word both means simultaneously. Both at the same time. I can't wait until I feel like, well, yes, we're okay now in Jerusalem. You know, if I waited for Jerusalem to be everything that Jerusalem wanted to be, there would be no Samaria works, and there would be no Galilean works, and there would be no work in Damascus, and there would be no work in Antioch. Why? Because I'm always waiting uh, for the Jerusalem church to finally be everything it should be before we launch out and see another work start. And yet, when God gripped my heart with that word, both, I came to realize that, you know, God's desiring for the local New Testament church to be active in other communities. And, and so that definitive work, uh, uh, word is that word, uh, both. And I'm asking that God will allow that to grip our hearts. Both. How is that possible? Remember, it's his power. How is that possible? Nothing's in how is it possible? God puts burdens on our heart for areas. And, and you know, the one prayer Jesus asked us to pray is pray for neighbors. I think one of the biggest impediments to churches planting other churches is, is the question, where do we get laborers? We're going to tackle that while I'm here. Where do you find the workers? Where do you find the laborers? Where do you find the next pastor? And it seems to be, um, you know, that, that, that roadblock, that impediment to us seeing other churches Started, But God has the remedy if we'll just go to his word and allow him to help us to teach us. Now, I want you to see this. What's the danger of inactivity? You're a Jerusalem church. You're enjoying thousands coming to Christ, 2,000 at Pentecost. God is adding to the local church. It's exciting. Things are happening. Who wants to leave? Nobody. From Acts chapter 1 through 7, everybody's still at Jerusalem. No one's going anywhere. The command was, I want you to go from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and the uttermost. And the local New Testament church at Jerusalem is saying, we're just having such a great time. Folks are coming to Christ. We're baptizing literally by the thousands. Who would want to walk away from that? And yet, here's the danger. You know history, don't you, from the city of Jerusalem? And you know uh, the uh, date 70 A.D. in history? Uh, We recognize here that Josephus, the uh, Jewish historian, would write of uh, the absolute destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. You know, that church of Jerusalem did not know how much time they had in that particular place. Can you imagine if they would not have taken the gospel to Judea or they have not gone to Samaria or they have not gone to the uttermost 
we would not be here today. See, there's a danger in neglecting the commission of God, the, the method and mandate that God here lays out for us. His heart is that we would see an enlarging, not necessarily in one locale, but in many places. And that's the heartbeat of the New Testament. And we have to see that the Lord Jesus Christ is desiring, yes, to add to our local church. But we have to see also that as he adds to our local church, he's adding for a purpose. And that is so that we would be unselfish and willing to, yes, give up others. That they might be able to see a multiplication of uh, local New Testament churches. I believe every church ought to be involved in multiplying three things. Number one, multiplying disciples. We all ought to be engaged in it. I saw the tracks on the way out. Uh, take those, use those, share the gospel. Let other people know about what you have. All right, that's multiplying disciples. But then I believe God is also desiring for us to multiply leaders. Because it's those leaders that God's going to use to see churches multiply. We multiply disciples and we multiply leaders and we multiply churches. And that's the New Testament pattern because God's desiring for the whole world to be reached. And the disciples, they were multiplied. And the Bible says they were multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. But God also desired not only for them to multiply but also to divide. Now let's go to Acts chapter 8, would you? Acts chapter number 8, verse 1. Saul of Tarshish, he is uh, the persecutor. The Bible says, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions. Get this. Where are they scattered? Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now that's interesting to me. The local New Testament church is growing like crazy. People are being added. According to Acts chapter 6, now the disciples are being multiplied and multiplied greatly. And yet here in Acts chapter number 8, God institutes a dividing program in the local church. He's desiring to take some out of that Jerusalem church and launch them out to see other churches start. And one man he's going to use as a deacon by the name of Philip here in Acts chapter number 8. And the Bible tells us in verse number 5, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And we don't have time to go through the whole text, but folks are getting saved. Not only are folks getting saved, but the Bible tells us they're getting baptized in verse number 12. Many believed, and they were baptized, both men and women. All right, And so we see here in Acts chapter number one, 8, verse 1, that God instituted a dividing program. And I say this quite often. Folks, we're either going to be an Acts 1-8 church and recognize that God wants us to be engaged in both, or we're going to be an Acts 8-1 church. It's one of the two. We can either voluntarily release Folks, to see other works started. Or God may have his own program. And I'll tell you what, it's better to volunteer than God to raise up a fellow like Saul of Tarshish. 
to, to come on, you know, the, the backside and chase you out of the area. Oh, how much better to have people volunteering. Acts chapter number 8, verse 1. That's the plan. God's desire. And uh, when we don't follow God's plan, God's got a way to get us to go uh, where we uh, maybe are hesitant to go. I wish I could say they had this program where they were sending out these groups to Judea and Samaria. God had a program to get them to do what they were supposed to do all along. And so he scattered. Matter of fact, Saul was used greatly before he got saved as well as after he got saved. That's something. God used him in a powerful way to cause the church to really launch into mission. And then he saved them. And, and then he used them to see that even further uh, to a greater extent. Oh, that God would use that in our hearts. All right, that we would willingly submit to the plan of God. Some of you may know C.H. Spurgeon. Um, I'm going to just wrote uh, on church planning extensively, but uh, next to evangelism, Spurgeon's greatest passion was the planning of new churches. In terms of churches planted in London, Spurgeon made his greatest impact in the 1860s and 1870s. Uh, The number, uh, one more, the number of new London Baptist churches averaged over eight a year between 1856 and 1860 and over 11 a year before between 1861 and 1863. Now, many of us know of the huge ministry thousands that came and those that waited outside because there wasn't room enough for them to come on in. But many of us don't know the underpinning heartbeat of C.H. Spurgeon was to see churches multiply throughout London and the world. And he gave himself to that cause. And I believe that's one of the reasons that God kept sending him uh, material that he could develop through his college and training men for the ministry. There was a distinct note of militancy in church planning operations. For many of the college students, missions was a holy war. I wonder if we've lost that fervor. What missions really is all about. It is the passion of our Savior. It ought to be the church's passion as well. We have never sought to hinder the uprising of other churches from our midst or in our neighborhood. Think about that. Now what if a a, a, a gospel preaching uh, independent Baptist church uh, started half a mile down the road. I think you know I have to put myself in that position. But what if what if uh, five young men said we're moving to Simi Valley and we're going to start churches all over that city? Spurgeon had no problem with that. It said in his writings, "It is with cheerfulness that we dismiss our twelves, our twenties, our fifties to form other churches." I don't know about you, but I don't think I quite have that spirit of cheerfulness, you know, in giving up members uh, to see other churches started. But Spurgeon did. And sometimes he gave whole congregations. Can you imagine starting with 50 people? That would be a dream, you know. And yet he said, this is, this is a part of that Acts 1-8 thinking process where we want to see God's work blossom everywhere. 
Uh, We encourage our members to leave us to found other churches. Nay, we seek to persuade them to do it. We ask them to scatter throughout the land to become the goodly seed which God shall bless. I know that rubs counter to our our thought process. I I know we love our church. and, and, And we want as many people as possible to come to our church. And yet a New Testament church is going to have that inflow and outflow. That healthy church is going to have, yes, people that are being reached, but people also that are being sent. That's the New Testament pattern. And this is what uh, uh, was really the heartbeat of uh, Spurgeon. Oh, the example, we have it in the New Testament. The church of Jerusalem finally got going, and God began to use them in a powerful way. Go to the next chapter, Acts chapter 9. I want you to see verse 31, for it is profound. We have to add, Acts 8, the church is scattered. Where are they scattered? Judea, Samaria. Now chapter 9, notice what it says in verse 31. Then had the churches rest. That word churches is the first time you're going to find it plural in the New Testament. First time. It's not just one. It's not just the church of Jerusalem anymore. Now it's churches. Well, what happened between Acts 8 and Acts 9? Well, what happened is one of the deacons said, I'm going down the road and I'm just going to start sharing Christ with people. And he had an opportunity to lead several folks to Christ. And there was a, a little bit of a revival that was stirring in Samaria. And we see that now uh, there are folks that are getting baptized and there's churches that are being organized. Churches, plural, where? According to this verse. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea. So there's churches in Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Churches are multiplied. God is now doing a work to where it's not just the Jerusalem church, but now because of ordinary lay people. By the way, Acts 1 teaches us the apostles didn't go. Did you catch that? Go back to Acts chapter 8. Notice verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And sharing Christ with ordinary men and women and boys and girls, seeing them saved, seeing a New Testament church founded. You say, well, they don't have a building. I don't see buildings as the priority here in Acts. Oh, they don't have this or they don't have that. Uh, We are so blessed with all that God gives to us that sometimes we equate a local church with a building. Oh, I go to church. Where do you go to church? Oh, it's down there on such such a street. And in our mind, a church is a a location. But we know a church is not a a place. It's it's a body of believers. The New Testament churches are, are those that have been saved 
and, and, and baptized by immersion and gathered together, and that's a church, whether you have a building or not. Maybe you're going to um, rent or lease a building or borrow a building like the early New Testament church. I believe the Acts 1 prayer meeting took place in the upper room. It, it mentions the upper room with 120 men. Well, if we go back to the Lord in the Last Supper, that was a borrowed room. Listen, church has nothing to do with nice chairs and carpeting and heating, uh, lights. It has to do with the fact that there are people that are being gathered together that are following in obedience to the Lord and believers' baptism, and that church is now God's local body in that place accomplish God's work for the glory of God. If every local church could get a hold of it, what God could do. Now, I'm going to give you a little of my story here. Um, I, I read about this man in this day in Baptist history, Dr. Cummings. I believe it was the first volume. It was somewhere in January. I'm reading day by day just a little bit about Baptist uh, uh, preachers of years gone by, and I stumbled across Johann Anken. Never heard of him, and you probably haven't either. He's the apostle of Europe. You say, apostle of Europe? He's the man that God used in the 1800s, born in that Lutheran nation of Germany, uh, no gospel presented there, his Father got involved with uh, being a spy against Napoleon, and, and so he's running for his life. Uh, Johann Anken's mother died in childbirth. He's being raised by his grandmother. She doesn't know quite what to do with this young guy. He needs to learn a trade. There was a, a Scotsman that came down selling books in Germany, and she said, could you take him? And maybe tra uh, trained him a little bit about uh, being a, a book merchant. And uh, so he agreed. He took him up to Scotland. He asked him, do you have a Bible? He said, no, I don't have a Bible. And he said, well, no one's going to work for me that doesn't have a Bible. And so he got him a Bible. And uh, after he had learned that trade, he was coming down uh, uh, from Scotland through London. Uh, he was on a carriage, and it, it took a, a turn, and he went flying off the top of it his life flashing before his eyes, and immediately he struck with the thought, what if I were to die? Where would I be? And there was a little Methodist chapel down the street, and he heard some singing, and he walked in, and he heard the gospel story about how although uh, he was a, a, a great sinner, there's a great Savior. And the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, his Son, can cleanse us from all sin. And, and Johann Anken was gloriously saved. He began taking some money that he had and buying little uh, pamphlets that would share the gospel with other people during his lunch hour. He was giving out so many gospel tracts that uh, the tract society wanted to hire him as a missionary. And uh, so now he has an opportunity to literally go back to his own country of Germany. And uh, as Johann Went back, God began this journey, five-year journey in his life. He's raised in a Lutheran country. He, he's uh, there in Scotland for a while. He's, he's saved at a Methodist church, and now he's got a Bible. He's back home in Hamburg, Germany. He's, he's got a young wife. They're about to have a child. And he's thinking, what do I do with this child? Do I, do 
do I have this child baptized? What does the Bible say? And he started researching the Bible, and he came to the conclusion that he was a Baptist by conviction, uh, that the mode of baptism is not sprinkling, it is dunking. And uh, he had to wait for five years before a missionary from America could come on over and, and baptize him in the Hamburg River. And a church was established there, which he became the pastor of, uh, the first modern-day German Baptist church there in Hamburg, Germany. It, by the way, it was, out, it was outlawed by the German government. Uh, they baptized at midnight in a river. Uh, they had congregations that hid. He was in jail often. Uh, for for uh, this new faith, this Baptist uh, faith. And his congregation would send him little notes saying, don't worry about it, we're meeting in four different places. And from the very beginning, that local congregation knew how important it was for them to multiply. And let me just tell you Johann Anken's story in uh, just a moment. I just went through uh, most of that. He believed his, his motto was, every Baptist a missionary in the first four years, they planted four churches. In his life ministry of 50 years, 280 churches are planted in Germany. 1,222 preaching stations. 771 Sunday schools. 170 churches planted in Slav- uh, Slavic and Scandinavian states. They would come to Hamburg from all over Europe to learn a trade. He would reach them for Christ and send them back as preachers. And they were singing... I mean, churches planted everywhere. You say, what does that have to do with you? Well, my dad was born in Poland. And my dad was impacted here by a Baptist congregation in a Catholic area in Poland because of the work of Johann Anke and those that went before him. My mom, she attended a Baptist church also in Germany. started here of a church and uh, she would have to stay overnight to, 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 to be there and as she was there for a while they confronted her about her soul and asked her if she knew she was on her way to heaven and she said I don't and they gloriously led her to Christ and uh, that church was an offspring here of this ministry back in the 1800s and so Johann Anken is really my spiritual great-great-great-great-grandfather because my dad was impacted in Poland. My mom was impacted in Germany because of this church-planting mentality that Johann Anken had, not because he had a Bible uh, college education, but because he had a Bible. And he read it and he believed it. And he believed Christians reproduce Christians. Churches Preachers reproduce preachers. And for 50 years he gave himself to it and all of Europe was impacted gloriously because of his heart. 50 years of ministry and God used him in places like Denmark, Netherlands, Lithuania, Poland, the Balkans, France. I was in Hungary on a missions trip and the the preacher told me about the Baptist church influence there in Hungary through the work of Johann Anken and those that were sent out uh, there to Hungary, uh, Russia, uh, Switzerland. We're going to close here this evening. Now, tomorrow night, I hope you're able to come back. We're just going to continue on a little journey to see what one church was able to accomplish in 25 years. 
is on the same page with the Holy Spirit and allowing that local church to be not just about Jerusalem, but both. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. Let's bow in prayer here. Father, thank you so much for our time tonight. Thank you for a, a little journey through the New Testament, seeing, God, what you're able to do as uh, we get back to your program. Lord, thank you for men like C.H. Spurgeon, Johann Anken, others through history that have had this passion that it's not just about one local church. And God, I pray that you would put that passion in our hearts. Work with us here through these few days together, I pray in Jesus' wonderful, wonderful name.